Greetings, errants, glitches, breakaways, thought criminals, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever simulacrum we find ourselves navigating at the moment. You are about to set sail on another free first hour episode of The Melt. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For a measly five dead presidents per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just click the Patreon or Locals link in the episode notes below to create the timeline that will set it all in motion. It's suspiciously simple, altogether painless, and just might inspire feelings of bliss and or lingering euphoria. So, without further ado, let the conversations begin! This is Hunter Muse. And this is Chris Snipes. And you are listening to The Melt. quote-unquote truther podcasting world, sometimes positivity seems to be in short supply. The more that you take the time to deep dive into this community, the more you realize that it can be as prone to hysteria and gap-filling as mainstream media. So, I find myself gravitating to those folks who are still capable of questioning the narratives and delving into what can sometimes be the murky depths of these subjects without allowing themselves to get bitter or calloused by it. Fear is a divisive motivator, and it can fuel the truth seeker just as much as the sleepwalker. It's almost too simple to parrot information you've picked up somewhere when it's something that you really want to believe, even if it scares you. Sometimes, especially if it scares you. No matter from which angle this fear comes from, it hardly amounts to anything remotely constructive. One angle might use fear to coerce you into complying without asking questions and to trust in those that might not have your best interests at heart. Another angle might use fear to motivate you to mistrust even your own intuition or to mistake paranoia for intuition. Either way, fear takes us out of the present, encourages us to superimpose some internal template onto people and situations, and causes us to second-guess common sense and lose sight of what is right in front of us. So let's don't do that. What drew me to today's guests was their positivity and their open-mindedness. 
They have maintained their curiosity and are not bogged down by ego or pretension. Stephen Stathis and Joe Pristupa are both fellow podcasters and curious questioners and damn swell humans. We sort of just tumbled spontaneously into this conversation, not knowing where it would lead us, and we ended up mouths agape as Joe recounted his supremely strange experience having to do with a UFO, a mental institution, and the surreal struggle for his sovereignty. But let us start at the beginning. I gotta, I gotta ask this of Chris and Hunter. Um, yeah. How did you, how did you become aware of us? Because I, I'm operating under the idea that we're kind of unknown. <laughs> <laughs> I heard you guys speaking of Chris. I heard you on uh, Forbidden Knowledge News. All right. Yeah. All right. And I was like, I like these fuckers. These, <laughs> these guys. You appreciate that. Yeah, because you know it's easy to get sort of cynical and bitter and uh, like you become callous to this sort of information and it tends to, you know, can make some people kind of pessimistic and bleak and you guys don't seem like that at all. And uh, crazy. And crazy. Yeah. <laughs> fucking nuts. There, yeah, there have been the, times uh, I've felt crazy, but, yeah, but, yeah, uh, sure. but I understand. Yes. <laughs> what were you saying, Joe? Uh, we're, we're your optimists. Yeah. Hell yes. It's hard yeah. to find. I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And we feel pretty optimistic too. So actually we feel very optimistic, especially when you realize that, you know, everybody talks about how, you know, it's a, it's a collaborative reality that we're all in. And so they, they, but they sometimes simultaneously forget to collaborate in a kind of responsibly positive and, and uh, forward thinking way. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's easy to get concretized and, and sort of numbed out to this stuff. So I think it's important to stay not numb, <laughs> whatever I, the opposite that, of numb is. I think that, but also, or and, uh, I think that the predatorial aspect of humanity feeds on fear and feeds okay. on anxiety and feeds on a sense of apathy and helplessness. Yes. So the more they can entrench that in people, the stronger it bolsters their narrative and their perspective. Sure. So the more freedom we can exercise, even just in freedom of speech, I think that the more free we are. Indeed. I would have to completely agree. Yay. Yeah. It, it gets, it gets really tricky because once you tiptoe up to the precipice of realizing that the very people that you admire and our hope are pulling the weight for our side of things. Mm -hmm. and, and yet they seem to be um, bolstering the matrix yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Yes. It can be very disheartening to think like, well, is there anybody on our side? Yeah. Is yeah, there sure. anybody outside team freedom? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that put all their hope in a Donald Trump yeah. or um, even more fringe. Don't like, get me uh, started. <laughs> yeah. And, and then seeing him make moves that are just nonsensical, like, hey, it, he's doing one thing and yet this other thing seems to be contradictory. Yeah. How is how is he um, um, boostering for the matrix, boostering for the for the shot, the yes. clot shot? Right. Yeah, exactly. When we, we would expect him to have our backs on that mm -hmm. and say, no, 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 it, it's your right to decide. Well, he's doing, it seems to be playing both sides at once. And that can be very confusing for people. So I, I don't blame anyone for, for taking the black pill, but if you 
take a step backwards, you can kind of see a bigger picture. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't really put trust in any politician. I think once you get to that position, you're so compromised, you know, you're not working for yourself anymore. You're just a mouthpiece for a bigger machine. So Trump is the same way. I mean, he's just disguised as an outlier, as somebody who's there to, you know, do something different than anybody else is going to do. But, you know, he did have a different way of going about things and he did speak his mind, which I thought was refreshing. Just that thing in and of itself. Um, the fact that he didn't give a shit what anybody thought. But beyond that, not really, not really much different than anybody else. I just Wait. use Leonard Peltier. Julian Assange and Ed Snowden as the litmus test. And if any three of these men were pardoned under any administration, then I would say, Hey, okay. So maybe this person is walking the walk, but, uh, when those people are ignored and Leonard Peltier has been in jail for decades yeah. now, it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, and I think the first thing with, with like the Obama administration was, and, you know, and all these people were drinking that Kool-Aid. I was like, well, where? what's his stance on Leonard Peltier? Why is he not exonerating him? Why is he not releasing him from prison? And when there was always this backpedaling of, oh, well, he can't really. And uh, uh, I was like, this yeah. guy's just another yeah. fucking puppet. Exactly. It's amazing on how the excuses can just uh, fly out at nauseum when it comes to yeah. th this situation. And, you know, speaking of not being cynical, you know, I'm with you. I feel I'm very similar with Joe and our perspective on how we feel about this situation. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you, I call it we get limited hangouts. Everything's mm -hmm. a limited hangout. There's always that that little tease that somebody's going to come out and do something. There's always that little, little, uh, little, like, you know, they're putting it on the tip of your tongue. They yep. want you to taste it just a little bit to think that there's going to be a big announcement, Exactly. but, uh, nobody's really going to make an announcement. Yeah. It seems like almost for sure. I totally agree. I, th I think the key word with figures like Trump is that Trump is an actor. Joe Biden is an actor. Hillary mm -hmm. Clinton's an actor. Barack Obama's an actor. Michael Obama's an actor. You know, we Michael just see Obama, yes. we see all of these <laughs> these actors, and that's all we get. Yeah. And so, don't expect the to see anything else on stage besides actors. Yeah. That's where that's where we get our emotions all wrapped up in this, and uh, and it's it's silly for us to do that because don't expect the matrix to feed us anything other than actors. Exactly. That's all. It's, it's like, what does, what does Cypher say when he wants to go back into the matrix? He goes, I want to be someone important, you know, mm -hmm. like an actor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's, that says it all right there. It's it, so funny yeah. that you mentioned that because today I was talking to someone about that whole realm. And I was saying, these are the most insecure uh, people that I've ever met. I worked in the Hollywood system and they are narcissistic and insecure, which is a highly dangerous combination. So if someone becomes a politician, they're just feeding into this need for power and a need for control over others without really having any legitimate, uh, I, I would say, um, impetus to help anybody other than themselves and feed their own ego. I would have to completely agree. And, you know, one thing I've touched on in a lot of my shows is how, even if we're entertaining the 
common narrative or the basic narrative. Human psychology can prove a lot of conspiracies true. Just basic human psychology yep. and, and basic human nature. And even in a couple of the articles that I've listed from Psychology Today, speaking of, you know, the fear harvesting that Hunter was talking about, um, that's what they do to manipulate us. That is how they keep us in their grip and in, in their control. And it's almost a vicious cycle because we're almost advertised narratives. Joe and I call it the Truman Show analogy. Mm -hmm. And this reality, instead of being advertised products, you're being advertised narratives and trains of thought. And whichever narrative or train of thought that you buy into ultimately becomes your reality and adds to the collective reality. Yeah. And then if enough of the collective believes a certain narrative or train of thought, that ultimately manifests into said reality. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the power of manifesting right there. Like if they can implant, if they can just fuck with our minds, then the rest will do it's, it'll, you know, it'll, it'll manifest itself. Uh, if they can steer our attentions and uh, the power of fear, I mean, that's the easiest uh, crop to harvest really. Uh, so seeds of fear, uh, most people don't even have any direct contact or much direct contact with the outside world. They get it through media, various forms of media, whether that be your phone or 200 channels of TV or whatever. So, and they, they totally trust all of the, those forms of media. So if all of that media is telling you to be freaked out and that we should be suspicious of every white person and, uh, you know, this, that, and the other, then people are just going to eat that up. It's safe, and it's also safe to feel fear. Because then you, it's kind of while making you afraid of other people, it solidifies your tribe identity. So then that just completes the whole cycle of the us and them narrative that, you know, makes it all go around, makes it all work. But it's also feeding product placement. That too. Hey. So it gives great opportunities for people who are selling products to help uh, reinforce fear. So, I, you know, I just remember in the beginning of the whole uh, pandemic nightmare when we started to see the stock of like Amazon go up. And how billionaires were increasing their wealth by, you know, 150%. That, you know, it was so fascinating that so few people that, that kind of fall into like what we would call normies were even like tapping into that and saying, oh, well, I'm getting another Amazon today, Amazon, Amazon. It's like you are feeding a beast that is not really for your greater good that does not give a fuck if you live or die. So why would you keep feeding that? Why not learn to, I don't know, plant a vegetable or, you know, how to work on some solar energy or something that makes you a little bit more autonomous. Uh, but I think that that's been an unintended consequence of all of this is that some people have really risen to the occasion and become autonomous. Have you felt a shift in how you live your life pre 2019? <laughs> Who's that question for? Both yeah, of well, you. Both of you. Yeah. Guys. So, so um, yes, most certainly I have I have felt a shift in my life. I um a little bit of a backstory. I, I woke up back in 2008. Uh, my co-host is lucky. He's been awakened since birth. Um, <laughs> Welcome. Bore, 
Thank born you. on born on 9-11 too i'm sure he'll get into that oh, with you. Wow. But, oh uh, i love yeah, it yeah born on 9-11 but uh you know 2008 so i've had kind of like a really big objective chunk of the timeline to look at when it comes to everything going on the current narrative and and you know 2019 2020 um all of the stuff that i had been talking about at this point for a decade i'm watching starting to come true before my eyes and and i'm like wow okay and, you know, at first, uh, you know, that's actually when Joe and I first met back in, uh, you know, 2019, 2020. And um, we were kind of like the pillars of light in the uh, little bit of darkness we were in. And it definitely changed how I live my life for sure. I, um, I've always been about self-sustainability. I've always been about autonomy and sovereignty. Always have been. It's always been a big part of my life. If anything, what that's done is made me kick it up a notch and uh, really start to practice the preaching a lot more as opposed to, you know, actually just talking about it, you know, being about it and doing these things. And that's really initially what had me start this podcast is, uh, you know, this was my way. This is what I could do. This mm. is, this is, I felt at this time was the most productive thing I could do to help share information, learn with other people, because I always say that we're learning together. You know, I, Absolutely. I, the, the farther I come on this journey, the less I know. <laughs> and that is like, <laughs> it's definitely the biggest thing. And, uh, if anything, um, it's really, it's really kicked into gears, um, a solution-based mindset instead of focusing on the problems. And, uh, just focusing on building new earth now, you know, before the old one's over. So Absolutely. I love it. Thank uh, you. Yeah. In, in a similar way, I saw 2020 as kind of a, a, a strong indicator that um, a sifting process had been initiated. So um, when the masks and that was like a precursor to the vax mandate, and mm -hmm. I saw that whole thing getting initiated, then the Mickey Willis video with um, Dr. Judy Mikovitz came out on YouTube and it was mm -hmm. immediately censored. The censorship yeah. got initiated. And I saw, okay, so this is a sifting process that's um, getting kicked off. And this is our opportunity to essentially announce to the world who we are. So all you have to do is just not wear a mask and walk into your local grocery store and smile for the cameras because you're, it's all being recorded. And, and they're trying to find out who this is not going to land on very well, who this communist, um, fascist dictatorship is, is going to rub against. And it'll be a minority. They knew that. But then it'll be a chance for those people to stand out and be maybe persecuted, not very much, but a little bit, like lose your job maybe, or get kicked out of a grocery store, get tackled to the ground by local law enforcement, whatever it happens to be, get snitched on by your neighbors those people would would find each other so this was a a search and search and find kind of program being initiated and i couldn't help but see that there could be a benevolent purpose behind it for me i kept seeing the image of a a mac truck with a brick put on the gas pedal being driven into a wall <laughs> maybe a mac truck that was that had a payload to destroy humanity yeah nitroglycerin <laughs> instead somebody put a brick on the gas pedal and jumped out of the driver's seat and just said we'll see where it lands mm -hmm. you know and then then trump came along with his uh with his slogan operation warp speed yes and i thought this is interesting because trump went on record in 2014 saying that he thought that vaccines were causing autism mm -hmm. and that it might have had to do with his son's autism mm -hmm. 
And um, that was before he had any kind of vested interest or um, political leanings. And he went on record as saying that. And, and so when he came out in favor of funding Pfizer and funding Moderna and funding this vaccine, I thought I took a big step back and said, this doesn't add up. This doesn't add up. This is not what you'd expect from a more libertarian leaning Republican president. It seems like he would be um, espousing caution instead of saying full steam ahead, operation warp speed. And that phrase warp speed really got my attention. I think that that's, he's, he's saying something else in the midst of, you know, funding all these people with, uh, with a Davos money. Right. Um, you can do a lot of damage to a program by simply messing with the timing of the um, intended program by speeding it up a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by, that offers a lot of exposure. So where I, where I see um, Trump kind of um, falling on a sword for the people in a way by saying I can't do other than to endorse this vaccine. I'm going to call myself the father of it. You all are going to hate me because of that. And you're right to do that. Because that's the end of his play. Mm -hmm. That's the end of his character on the stage. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the, he's, the point was not for Trump's popularity. The point was to show those motherfuckers in the media, these people that you think love me and will do whatever I say, will follow me so far and no further. I will tell them to get the vaccine and they hate you so much that they won't do it, even though I'm telling them to. That was the point of that whole exercise. It was really kind of brilliant when you, when you step back and look at it. For sure. Well, he was a pundit back in 2007, 2008. Just when you were a wee lad. <laughs> he was on Fox News. And that's when yeah. they really started to kind of uh, bring him out in the dog and pony show to see. Well, I mean, even farther back than that, in the 80s, he was on Phil Donahue. And they said to him, oh, would you ever consider the presidency? Would you ever consider being the president? He was like, no, 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 I would never do that. I have there no reason. I have no political aspirations. So he's been out in the realm of uh, the public eye for decades and decades. And right. in 2007, 2008, he started, which I found hilarious because this was kind of in the height of his apprentice show. They right. started to kind of bring him out as some kind of a political expert. And I remember thinking, this guy's been bankrupt seven times. Like he has myriad lawsuits against him in New York. He basically licenses his, his name to people. And then the, those people go off and make successful businesses so he can take the credit for it like he's a fucking snake oil salesman like oh, i can't yeah. i can't yeah. believe anyone would ever believe that he's gonna be a decent president and back then in 2007 i said to someone this asshole's gonna be the president and they were like no 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 you're crazy you're smoking weed you're high no way i was like mark my words he's going to be the president this is the the way that he used to be a democrat 
now he's going to be a Republican uh, because they're yeah. different, right? <laughs> and so, oh, you know, no difference. He used to be a secular humanist, and now all of a sudden he's a Christian. Like, come yeah. on, it's, it's, it's <laughs> total it, bullshit. Like, there's been a lot of flip flops, uh, especially, and I mean, that's that's what they do. And I mean, that's just really, I. It's funny. I've always said he was a cause and effect. You know, he was put like in, he was put in to cause a certain effect. And yes. it definitely did divide up the people of you know, yep. America, especially, you know, even further into the political uh, bipartisan paradigm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what we kind of see with this is there's always somebody coming along in this bipartisan system who is, you know, promising everybody the world. And I call it repeating insanity. Totally. I watch people do insanity every four years in this country, trying to repeat the same process over and over again, expecting a different result. Exactly. And then Welcome. it, uh, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Sorry. So, uh, rewind the clock back to 2016. So, um, the night of the election, November 3rd, 2016, I had voted for Gary Johnson. I couldn't explain to myself why I was so ecstatic that Donald Trump had won. <laughs> I, I know. Over Hillary Clinton. That's why. And yeah, then, that's and why then I, heard, I heard a comedian, um, I think it was Ari Shafir on his podcast, oh, Skeptic Tank. And he was saying like, he explained why I was so ecstatic. And he said that the Americans were presented with a choice between the status quo or brick through the window. <laughs> And they chose brick through the window. <laughs> That's great. And yeah. I thought, okay, that explains why I'm so happy that he won. Yeah, I knew I knew Gary Johnson was never going to be the president. Gary Johnson knew he was never going to be the president. Right, right. I think he got to a certain place in the election cycle where they the deep state came to him and they were like, this is what we're going to do to you if you get into this position. And he was like, you know, I heard him have the, the he was in on this interview and he said, you know, I don't know if my family is ready for this. <laughs> right. Oh, and by the way, I don't I don't how old you think i am but uh in 20 in 2008 i was buying my first house so oh wow at, at eight years old that's amazing <laughs> i was the youngest i was the i'm the youngest uh i was i was just a couple years fresh out of high school back then so well wow. he didn't say that he was born on 9 11 2001 oh okay yeah. that's why i was like wow you're I was, a baby I was, I was born uh i'm yeah i'm 40 years old to 1982 Okay. All right. Gotcha. You've been vetted. <laughs> I just when it, when he told me his birthday was nine eleven, I was like, no. I was like, let me see your your driver's. I gotta license. see the receipts. Exactly. <laughs> it looks a lot like um, you know, Thomas Anderson and uh, the Matrix. They yes. show a yeah. picture of his driver's license. Yes. <laughs> yep. And a lot of the same numbers are on there. I bet. Well, you know, yeah. it's because you get to know who he is, and then you see he's born on nine eleven. <laughs> And it's like, wow, that's a, that's a synchronicity. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So, so it was all but, meant uh, to be. It, it was all meant to be. And it's funny how uh, Joe actually has his own show. He does syrup tap on a uh, rumble. Oh. Um, yeah. He does his own thing too. And uh, actually this whole project, I guess you could say kickstarted back into being summer of 2022. Um, I had a particular and uh, in particularly interesting experience that summer, and so did Joe as well. Uh, that kind of just, what I could say, uh, peeled the another layer of awakening off for us. 
And um, really, that's kind of what set forth us even uh, diving even further into this and kind of uh, throwing ourselves down the biggest rabbit hole we possibly could think of. Well, I want to hear more about all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Do tell. Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, actually in our, uh, so in the BG, in one of our BGTAP interviews, um, we have a show, it's called the Philadelphia Experiment. And what it is, is it recounts a situation that happened to Joe in uh, Chester, Pennsylvania. Um, I personally believe he got a real live peek behind the curtain. I, I, uh, I really think he did a physical peek, which um, definitely, Joe, why don't you uh, enlighten them? <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Okay, so um, this is this is in keeping with some of the stuff that I've heard as content on your show, uh, people sharing paranormal kind of events, and mm -hmm. and I'm not, uh, I've always kept my eye open for paranormal things, but I'm not one of those guys that like sees everything, uh, mm -hmm. sees one every day. Yeah. So the only time I've ever seen something very strange in my life up in the sky. Cause we've all seen like the satellites that blink and they could be UFOs or they could be anything right way up in the very, very stratosphere. But this one, um, this is something I saw while working on a job. Um, it was a little power plant in Chester, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of pencil or, uh, Philadelphia. And it's right next to, it's kind of situated right next to the Delaware River, right next to a, a Boeing research facility where they do experiments on um, rotor blades for helicopters and things like that. And I, I, I couldn't really tell you why I was selected for this job. I don't do a lot of work in other states besides Colorado, mm. but um, somehow I found myself on this little crew of guys traveling to Pennsylvania and uh, my attitude for that trip was just go with it. I do a lot of controls. I'm kind of a controls guy. So I have a niche in the electrical field. Mm. Um, so it, it made sense that I was part of this group, or, or so I thought. Um, anyway, one day there was kind of a storm outside. And I, I went outside to pee. And there, the main tent where the um, workers were supposed to take break and lunch blew over. Wow. And I looked up at at um this wow. big building and behind and he froze the, um, <laughs> holy fuck um, <laughs> well, no. he's glitching <laughs> you'll pop back on in a sec there's uh there, there's a little bit of thunderstorms going on out here right now so it's probably gotcha. to be expected uh but no um I'll, I'll let him recant you uh him his when he gets back uh no we had um it's interesting how um you know it's two different stories chris and hunter and they both they both led to the same conclusion which is uh very very interesting. I, uh, I joke that, um, Joe had the experience that, uh, he needed to. And then I had the experience that I needed to, that brought us all together, brought it all together in the end. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Mine, um, mine does, um, mine does involve plant medicines. However, due to the current research, uh, of plant medicines, that um you know dmt works with serotonin uh, uh -huh. to modulate how you perceive your visual reality mm -hmm. so if you increase those levels beyond baseline do you perceive more reality i absolutely believe so and i like it this experience i had was so real it goes down under the uh net the the most special day of my life next to my wedding at that Aww. point that's how real it was yes yes uh -huh. and um 
and they, so I, I, you know, I was in my basement. It was the beginning of June, uh, summer 2022. And, um, I actually had some dimethyltryptamine left and I was in a good headspace and a good uh, mind space that day. Um, so I decided to partake. Uh, so I did my, you know, meditative practices. I do breath work, yoga, qigong and stuff and got ready. And, um, I embarked and I remember as I'm holding it in, Things were different this time around. It was very bizarre. I was coming on a lot faster and a lot stronger than it ever had. And then basically the best thing I can say is reality decompartmentalized around me. And there were these seven, seven beings. Now they were very tall. They were, uh, they had to have been at least eight feet tall. Um, they looked almost seraphim like, but they had like these serpentine bands of energy coming mm. off. Of them. Wow. And I remember I was dripping in this water because like I, this is down here in this, uh, this podcast layer I have here. Um, there's no plumbing or anything above. Mm -hmm. And I'm like sitting there, I'm like, where's this water coming from? And then I heard what I would say. Now, when I say telepathic, I use that term loosely, mm -hmm. um, a telepathic response. I felt it in my chest. And then I heard, felt the emotion that was conveyed with the response. Mm -hmm in my chest, which is still to this day, the most whole bizarre thing about that experience. I was mm. like, I, it seems like a higher language. And I hear the water is a medium between dimensions. This is how we could come to you and we could contact you. And I'm sitting there like looking up at these seven seraphim looking beings. And I'm like, okay. Um, and they're like, Steven, we want you to come with us. And I was like, okay. I was like, all right, I guess we're going. So um, I ended up going astral traveling with them uh, to this place they called the True Garden of Eden. And it was a very magnificent place. It was like this crystalline city and it had these flowing green pastures all around it. And, you know, I was looking in um, the city and I saw humans, it looked like from all over the universe. And like, and at that point in time, it was like, I feel like we're a universal species. We very well could potentially be. There's different... Um, different playing fields all over the place that could be a little bit different than ours, but slightly the same in certain ways. And um, after that experience, these beings took me and showed me how fabricated this reality was. And this is kind of what broke me a little bit in this experience, because I had always believed that, that this reality was heavily fabricated. And I have always, you know, kind of wanted to see it for myself, but to the extent that I saw it, was I think what is uh, kind of almost like broke me a little bit. And when I came back from that whole experience, I was like, oh, I need to go back to the spiritual drawing board, it seems like, mm. at this point, because um, this reality is heavily fabricated, even more so than I thought, and kind of made me dig in a little bit further um, on this uh, potentiality that could be that a lot of things that are presented to us are fabricated in staged events. Um, especially with, uh, you know, the CIA in Hollywood having the revolving door policy that oh, they yeah. do. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's very, I mean, a good example that I always bring up, I don't know if you two saw this, but there was that snippet, um, that new snippet. So it was a mass shooting survivor and she was vacationing with another mass shooting survivor. Yes. Yes. You guys saw that. Yes. I did not. So, so she was, she was vacationing with, so these two mass shooting survivors were vacationing together and then somehow they ended up in another mass shooting and yep. they just happened to be there for the camera after the sheriff got done speaking to the press to get up there and spew anti-gun propaganda. Yeah. It was at the wow. last mass Go shooting. The one yes, with yes, the, yes. yeah. 
Yeah. No, no, no. It was, it was so, so this is a really good example. I mean, that's too much of a coincidence. Don't you think? I mean, yeah. <laughs> one of the, one of the women, uh, her child had been killed at, at Sandy Hook and the other woman was, I think, Parkland. And then they were both at just fortuitously, they were at the mass shooting with the, the, uh, non-binary, Oh yeah, transgender person who came into the Christian uh -huh. school. Yeah. Yes, yes, and this is this is exactly like what was what was really like a big big eye opener to me to see that that. But so the one thing you know, one of the common debates that you have with that topic is why why would they do that? So, and and the number one thing I always talk about. So you're looking at people who not only have an abundance of resources, but they create the resources. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. If you created the resources, anything's game, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to sway the opinion of people or, you know, point the general population into a different direction of sorts yep. um, that you would like them to see, it's very easy to do so. And so I think easy. that's been the disconnect between, you know, the American citizen as of right now and um, when it comes to what's really going on, they they become so, and I believe it's purposeful that they become so farly far removed from what things actually mean mm -hmm. and how things actually work. And uh, you know, one of the things I like to say is, you know, I even entertain a common narrative. You know, money talks, BS walks, right? So like everything's essentially a business. So let's look at who funds the media. We have Raytheon, we have Boeing, we have DARPA, we have BlackRock, BlackRock. <laughs> We had, so is the average person going to speak illy of or out against who pays their paychecks? I don't yep. think, I don't think all. so. And this yeah. is even where it comes down to that basic human psychology that I think can really help um, when it comes to relaying the, this message that we all do that can actually help kind of bring it down to that level. So the common person or whoever, you know, a lot of, I don't use the term NPC. I think it's mean, yeah. uh, but that, 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 that's just my opinion, you know, just mm -hmm. so the, uh, the common person can understand. Yeah, it's yeah. more Stockholm syndrome than NPC. So it's protecting the, your abuser, basically, yeah. as one way you can look at it. But just quickly, what I wanted to point out is the product placement in films is a really great starting point for some people. So you go and watch a movie and you can count how many products you see that we have become so maybe immune to. Oh, wow, there's a Coke bottle that's facing perfectly toward the camera. There's a uh, Captain Crunch uh, box in the back there. I think a lot of people are so desensitized to seeing that stuff that they don't realize, oh, these companies have paid to have their products in this film. And the way they've paid is to fund the film. Exactly. Exactly. Well, oh, he's back. Hey. I, I like what you said. Hello. <laughs> Sorry I'm, about that. I'm glad you I'm didn't get struck by lightning. Did you? Do you have missing time, Joe? Um, I feel there like any we scars? have missing time. <laughs> well, I just think like I'm sorry to say, but I know what the internet overlords' agenda is, and their agenda is to fuck with certain stories getting out. So I'm sorry, but this has happened before, and. I hope it doesn't well, happen again. You, know you, I mean? you want to give it another go? Yeah, it just yeah, gives you it. street cred. I'm, that's all. You, I, mean, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Steven, I like street cred. Did, did, uh, you, oh, did you finish your, your part of that? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Cool, let let cool. Joe go right ahead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I don't know what you may have shared with him, Stephen, in the interim, but what emerged from that cloud 
was a um, a craft that was maybe no more than than twenty or thirty feet off the ground, and it was flying um, from the funnel cloud towards the Delaware River, kind of um, over my shoulder as I was standing. And the strange thing was, I had gone outside for no particular reason. I had to go to the bathroom, and um, then when I reached the porta potty. I suddenly lost the urge to go to the bathroom. Like, why did I even come out here? So I didn't go into the port I just turned around and was going to go walk back into the building when I saw this thing. And at first I thought it was just a trash bag kind of stuck right. up in the wind. Mm-hmm. It's just a black speck. But as it got closer, I could see that it was a, a perfect ring. A ring. And um, from my from my eyes estimation, I could I, it seemed like it was maybe three feet in diameter. It was um, flat like a coin Mm -hmm. um but a ring with a a hollow center and it looked kind of like an aerobi back in the day if you remember those frisbees that were just Mm -hmm. a you know flat ring Uh Um, except for it was white on one side and black on the other but not the kind of black that was just black it was like like a like a sucked in light Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like a black hole black yeah yeah and the other side was shiny white like emitting light and it was it wasn't flying flat like a disc. It was tumbling like a tumbleweed, hmm. like a gyroscope. Have you seen a gyroscope kind of change all different sure. directions? Mm-hmm. And it was moving maybe at about thirty miles an hour from that cloud over my shoulder and um, moved out over the Delaware River where I lost sight of it. I had the thought maybe I should take my phone out and get a picture of this thing, but I thought it was maybe too small or it just I just never had the full impulse to take out my phone. I just Mm -hmm. was so um, entranced by this thing. And I didn't think much of it at the time that I was seeing it, but I did walk inside and tell my friends that I was working with, my new friends that I just met. um, I I just saw this craft in the sky. It was the craziest thing. This is what it looked like. It tumbled. It was like a ring. Um, And the only thing that makes that memory so clear is that after that every night and and every moment after that for the next few weeks i was having these downloads like piecing together pieces of my childhood with movies i'd watched and albums i'd listened to and um seeing time as like a flat circle rather than a linear timeline it, it changed my whole outlook on a lot of things. Wow. It, it pieced together a lot of things that I'd been thinking about, but not putting together things about the pandemic, things about um, politics, things about current events. And, um, and I ended up texting my, my immediate family and texting, you know, close friends and relatives that I hadn't talked to in a long time saying things that were probably from their perspective, very, uncharacteristic Mm. like for example i told my um my wife um that she should tell her brother who i'm not very close with or anything that it's going to be the goodwill hunting ending (laughs) (laughs) he even he even messaged me uh, i remember him texting me during this and it was very out of character for him and i ended up asking him i'm like well, you're right and he's like i have to tell you about what happened when i get back <laughs> yeah so i from my perspective i was having these these telepathic connections with things i um i texted old girlfriends i texted a lot of people just saying like 
whatever popped into my head, which mm. was very outlandish. And and one morning, a few days later, I woke up. Um, this was after Easter. So Easter, I, I, I'd taken off Easter, even though if I had worked that day, I would have made double time. Mm-hmm. That's, that's for union rules. You can, yeah. you can make twice as much money if you work on a holiday. So instead, I just said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. This job is going fine. We don't need me to work here. I'm not going to. I just want to take the day off for some reason. And that day, the downloads were super heavy. Interesting. And I think it was, this is where the timeline gets a little fuzzy. And I think I might have had some lost time in this. Um, I woke up the next day and not from like a state of grogginess or sleep. I was just immediately awake. And um, some things I had brought with me on this trip for no particular reason, I didn't know why, I just put them in my suitcase, were uh, $6,000 in cash and uh, a package of brand new Bic lighters. Um, So I was working on a crew of four people. I was one of four. I I went downstairs in the hotel lobby. I took the $6,000 in cash that I had brought and paper money. And I divided it into three piles of $2,000 each. And I just put it on this table in the lobby of this uh, hotel where we were all staying. And I put a lighter, a brand new Bic lighter on each of the piles. And I said to the lady that was at the front desk, I gave her $50 and I said, look, I'm playing a little joke on my friends. (laughs) They're about to come down here and they're going to have breakfast. And, um, when they do that, when they all three show up and they're all sitting at the table looking at this money, I said, I, I owe them some money. When they're all three sitting at this table looking at this money, um, call my room and, uh, you know, this is going to be really funny. Just watch what happens. And so she says, okay. And she takes the $50 and uh, I go back up to my room. And sure enough, she calls me up about a half an hour later and says, okay. Your friends are sitting at the table. They're looking at the piles of money. So I texted them this text on the group chat, right? On on our our phones, because they had all their numbers. I said, I'm not gonna share all the explicit language because I I really played it up, right? Like this was a dramatic moment. I I essentially said, look, if you guys, here's this money burn as much of it as you deem necessary to cleanse your consciences. <laughs> um, when you have arrived at the correct answer, text me back the answer, but realize that if you don't do this, then um, your wives are going to get raped. What <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> He was slightly unhinged during this time period. Wow. I'm not trying to uh, absolve myself from any crime here. I'm just telling you how it went down. Like yeah, said, yeah, exactly. You know? So okay, what were the so reactions? please, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave us hanging with your energy drink or whatever the fuck you're doing. <laughs> so at first, I got a text from my, the one friend, and he said, dude, what's going on? <laughs> and I said, don't try to cheat your way out of this. I need to know how many bills you burned to cleanse your conscience. And so um, at the, the entire time this is going on, we're, we're, we're being late for work now. Like, so this is like the clock is ticking. We're supposed to be going to the job site 
And instead I pulled this, uh, this extravagant stunt. So I'm looking out the front window of my hotel room down to the uh, vestibule where all of the, uh, where you drop off your luggage, you know, if you're right. staying at this hotel. And I'm looking to see who shows up because I figured it's going to be either a cop or an ambulance <laughs> or um, the three-letter agency. Or an asylum I paddy wagon. I sufficiently baited them into this, you know, <laughs> because I'm, I've done something very strange. And um, what, what, I, what I haven't mentioned yet is that the, the night before, I had already gone down to the truck with my luggage all packed and at three in the morning. <laughs> and one of my other coworkers was down at, the, down at the truck at three in the morning just smoking. And I said, I'm ready to go. <laughs> and he says, well, go where? <laughs> and, I, and he said, and I said, well, to the training facility. And he goes, uh, it's not time yet. He said, it's not time yet. Goes on smoking. I just bring my luggage back up to the room and go back to sleep. This, this entire time I wasn't sleeping very well. I was, you know, in a different kind of space, but yeah, yeah. Um, that was the, just one day prior to this whole event. So up comes this red car. It's not a cop car, just a red car. And I said, that's my car. Okay. So, so was he one of the guys with the, the, the money, the guy who was smoking? Yeah, yeah, so he was, knew already that something was going on. I, I would suspect they had, they had to realize that I was not um, the same guy that they had left on this trip with, that something had happened to me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, they were probably concerned for me, and I, I can only imagine what was going through their heads. Exactly. Um, so I, I went down to the lobby, and as I was going down to the lobby, I received a text from my lawyer that said something to the effect of you've just won the Freemasonic national treasure. What? <laughs> what? It starts to get interesting. Like, Great timing, bud. Like, um, that's, that's very odd coming from you, but I was already headed down to the lobby to talk to law enforcement or whoever these people were. So I get off the elevator and there's, there's two cops, waiting for me as I come off the elevator in the lobby. And they say, can we, can we take your cell phone? And at this point I was, no, I didn't, I had no obligation to give them my cell phone, but I did. I just said, okay, sure. Take it. You know, I got nothing to hide. So they take the cell phone for a good 20 minutes and they just have me sit down at a table in the lobby. And I said, um, wherever we're going, I'm ready to go there right now. And they said, we, we heard you brought guns with you on this trip. Is that true? And I said, yes, I, I did bring two guns with me. They're up in my room. One's in the safe and one's in my suitcase. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have them with me. They didn't frisk me or anything. They just took me at my word. So I, I'm sitting down there and, uh, and the two, the two cops look kind of nervous, but I, I wasn't nervous. I was, I was in this ecstatic frame of mind for some reason. Um, so I said, I'm ready to go right now. And they said, no, 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 uh, we're not We are not ready to go. Just hold your horses and wait here for a, a bit longer. So this whole time they have my cell phone with them, you know, and they're doing things to it. They're manipulating it. I don't know what they were doing to my phone. But when I did, as a side note, when I did go back into my phone, 
there was no text from my lawyer. That There were other texts from my lawyer, just not that one particular one. Weird. So it was almost like, did I imagine that? Maybe. I, I don't know. That's, did you, I don't, I'm not the kind of guy that imagines things, you know? Yeah. Like, did you ever, I got it, I got it. Did you bring it up to your lawyer later and ask if they... A, a little bit. I did have a conversation with him later and he just acted like he, he was totally unaware of the situation. But with these situations, okay, what, what's important to understand is that when it comes to technology, any entity can enter into that conversation. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So he might not have been physically aware himself mm-hmm. that his identity was being co-opted in mm-hmm. my phone. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So that would... That sounds crazy, right? But that's no, that's not, not at all. all. No. <laughs> not to us. No. There's actually an incident, if you don't mind me chiming in real quick, Joe, there's actually an incident I did on my uh, my gang stalking episode where they have evidence of a really hard case of evidence of uh, someone's phone practically getting hacked into and making it look like somebody sent a text and did not. It's a very bizarre phenomenon. Yeah. Speaking of which, later on at some point, I would like to, you, you, I listened to the hospital gang stalking episode and I want to, I would like to dig deeper into that. I, I hadn't heard of that before, that phenomenon, and I would like to go further into that. But Joe, are you? Yeah, for sure. Did you finish your story? No, no, there's no, no way. Of course you <laughs> didn't. Of course you no, didn't. No, 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 this is no just the beginning. This is just the beginning of the story. <laughs> so I, when I handed my phone over, it was kind of like me saying, I, I think you guys are benevolent entities. Yeah. And whatever you're deciding to do with this phone, I'm letting you know that mm-hmm. I've got nothing to hide. Right. <laughs> because if I was hiding something, it would be in this fucking phone. Right. So here it is, do with it what you will. And when I got it back, certain texts were missing from it. Like certain things that I would have liked to have shown my family to say, hey, look, I'm not off my rocker here. Like this is, this is what it was going through my head, but those texts were gone <laughs> conveniently, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so when I was waiting in that hotel lobby, uh, two gentlemen came in, they're both black in plain clothes, not, not police officers, or they didn't present to me any badges or anything. They were just... Um, kind of dressed up in what you might see like um, some stylish guys wearing to church on Sunday. And they're big, the big guys, like maybe four or five inches taller than me. And they, they weren't upset. They seemed, they seemed as in the same kind of mood that I was in, very happy, ecstatic, um, inexplicably so. And this was all like a prerequisite because I was ready to go right then. I said, like, wherever you're going to load me into an ambulance, a cop car, let's go. They said, no, 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 you got to wait. So these two guys shuffle in and one guy looked kind of like LL Cool J, (laughs) you know, the the lead guy. And the other guy was, you know, um, just a good looking black gentleman. Um, Mm -hmm. And they, they wanted to hear me read them the text that I had sent to my friends. So they handed me back my phone. Did they ever identify themselves like by name? Yeah. Do they ever say I'm Frank? I'm from Tim. No, or- there was no there was no badging, no credentials, but they they were interested to hear who I thought that that they reminded me of. Interesting. Very, very strange. Yeah. And oh. this was um and I was at the height of my telepathy at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, okay, I'll use my telepathy and I'll figure out who these fuckers are. Mm-hmm. But all I was getting was like the black eyed peas. 
that was <laughs> that was the only um, image I was getting in my head. And I honestly couldn't even think of LL Cool J, although that was the obvious choice because the guy looked, he was a dead ringer for LL Cool J. Wow. Hmm. Maybe that it was. Screen memory. <laughs> yeah. He even had on like the derby, kind of like the, the Kanglo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so these guys were smirking the whole time because they it seemed like they knew what the text had already said without me even reading it. Sure. And the awkward part was I used the N-word in the text. Uh-huh. Because I, I used that line from um, Pulp Fiction. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, Awkward. Yeah. This is genius. You know <laughs> this needs like, to be a film. No I'm shit. just saying, like, this is yeah. great. <laughs> so I read it for them verbatim, and they just, when I got to the N-word, they just started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Where okay. are your coworkers at this stage? They're not, they're not here. They're they're uh-huh. up in their rooms or something. You know, they're okay. traumatized. I'm sure they're highly yeah. traumatized. Right, but not in the lobby, not in the no, restaurant, no. nowhere you can see them. I did see a couple of them one more time before I left town, but okay, that's that's much further into the story. Okay, um, keep so, going. So I kept saying like, okay, guys, I'm, I'm ready to go to the training facility. Whatever you've got cooked up for this whole exercise, I'm ready to go. Right. And so this kind of took them off, by, off guard. They, they weren't expecting me to be ready and they weren't expecting me to be expecting to go somewhere. So um, eventually an ambulance pulls up and they say, okay, we're ready. This was, it must've been like an hour in of um, preparation, just me sitting in the lobby shooting the shit with these guys. They they made an exercise of calling my wife. They're, he takes the phone from me. He starts explaining things to her that I'm not exactly privy to. Um, and then, then they load me onto this ambulance and I'm just sitting in the ambulance, not like strapped down or anything. Um, and the guy on the ambulance wants to know who he reminds me of. <laughs> How weird. And he, and I said, and I was just looking at him right on this. It was only about a 10 minute drive from the hotel to the facility. And he's, um, he's looking at me and he's starting to tear up as he's looking at me. I'm just looking at, we're just, you know, kind of exchanging glances and he starts to like get choked up and I I can see that he's getting choked up. So I said like, you know, what's going on, man. And, um, you know, he wants to know who he reminds me of. And I saw, I don't know if I was supposed to think of somebody from my past or from my childhood, but he reminded me of Bobby Minahan from SNL. Okay. So that's what came to mind. So that's what I blurted out. You remind me of Bobby Minahan. And he says, okay. I don't know if that <laughs> Did was the wrong up after that? <laughs> <laughs> But, but the, the, the two black guys said that too. They said the same thing. They wanted to know. That is and so they cor- fucking they corrected. Weird. Because when I said somebody from the Black Eyed Peas, he goes, well, I'm more of a this guy. Wow. And I didn't know the guy that he referenced. That's like a how good is my how good is my disguise sort of thing. (laughs) I know. know. It was was that kind of feeling. Did your wife ever tell you what they said to her on the phone? Well, yeah. They told her I was going crazy. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they were totally gaslighting her. And I was like, I hope they're not gaslighting her because I don't want her to freak out, you know? Yeah. They were gaslighting her, though. <laughs> um, but she did freak out. Well, of course. Yeah. And so did my whole family. And um, I'm still dealing with the aftermath of all that. But that's neither here nor there. 
if you guys ever want to hear what happened on the way back home from Chester, Pennsylvania, there's a, there was a run-in with the TSA. Uh, <laughs> there's a whole wow. other mental institution involved. I'd be, I'd love to recount Holy the rest of it for you. Shit. Yeah, I would maybe love we've got to have a part yeah. two of this. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, let's make, let's make a date okay. to do that. Um, sure. What I was going to say is that uh, with the narrative, they've ingeniously uh, reframed it and called it a QAnon sort of conspiracy theory. And now, so they can sweep that under the rug nice and neatly. And Trump helped to put a, Nice little bow on top of all that, because anything that Trump says, including calling out absolutely real things like fake news, is just automatically, you know, filed under the bullshit uh, thing. You know, it's, so it's it's perfect. So now it's completely reframed as this, you know, right wing conspiracy theory theory that we shouldn't trust just because of who the messenger is. So anyway, I just wanted to finish that thought so no i completely resonate with that i um the one thing i want to add to that too is um you know a lot of us who have um uh been you know aware for a long time and have seen this for a long time it's almost as if the uh the right-wing christian conservative christians came in and muddied the waters a little bit Mm -hmm. and um i saw this after covid especially i mean i don't know if you two remember about the uh, yellow vest movement and all the proletariat uprisings that Mm -hmm. were happening in europe pre-covid you know i think there's many layers to the covid situation but they say one of those layers was to stop that and then i noticed immediately after covid it seemed like the conservative christians got lumped in with all of the rest of us and then it's like you know to even muddy the not that i'm saying like i'm glad you know i'm happy anybody's on board it doesn't matter to me at that point you know but it's just it almost because of the sensationalism and just the point that you brought up chris about Mm -hmm. the uh everything being labeled a QAnon conspiracy now um it's made it almost like we've had to swim up through the waters even further to, (laughs) to deliver the information we feel is right exactly Totally agree. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time and sit to sit and chat and recount your very interesting experiences. And I can't wait to hear more of those. Uh, but maybe before we go, you can tell the listeners or watchers, whoever that may be, uh, where they can find your work online. Thank you so much, Chris. So um, you can find me on Rumble. Um, Apple Podcasts, uh, Rockfin, Spreaker. I'm also a member of Forbidden Knowledge Network. Uh, You can find me on ForbiddenKnowledge.news and you can find a whole bunch of other great people on there as well. And my social media, I have Facebook and Instagram. I'm off X right now, but uh, you can find me there at BGCast. Fabulous. And um, if you ever want to see, I don't know why you would, but if you did want to see my solo stuff on Syrup Tap, it's on Rumble. Syrup tap. It's an anagram for my last name. If you're, if you can figure that out, but, uh, (laughs) syrup tap all one word on rumble. That's my channel. Fantastic. So you don't have a podcast per se. You just put stuff on rumble. I'd love to do a podcast, but, Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm waiting for the right opportunity. I, I want, I want him to hop on FKN. I'm trying to, trying to talk to Chris about that. I, uh, if anybody, I think who would be a good fit, it's him. Absolutely. Well, I'll put in a good word. It won't be worth anything of what your words would be worth. But <laughs> uh, guys, what, I like what to be kind of hard to find sometimes. You know? Yeah. Wise. Make people work for you. It's very wise. Yeah. 
Well, Who I do think. I remind you of, guys? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I sort of it's got, he's, he's going to wake up one morning and he's going to send me that text and go, Who do I remind you of? <laughs> You're like, Here we go. It begins uh, again. So. Yeah, no shit. That's the code. They're here. Yes. I, I'm That's trying to trigger. think of someone that wouldn't be insulting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remind me of like a Mel Gibson or a. Oh, you're hilarious. <laughs> it's funny because you, Joe, kind of remind me of Chris. Oh, that could be. Yeah. <laughs> I see some, maybe, some brother overlap. Maybe a cross oh, between wow. me and Neil Perth. What's, what's your Chinese astrology sign, Chris? I believe it's horse. All right. So you would be 1960. Hold on. <laughs> he's like, he's like, six. You got it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 1966. Yes. All right. On that note, anything, <laughs> anything you want to close with, my dear? Thank you. It's been an honor and a pleasure to speak to both of you. Yes. Good meeting really you guys. We really enjoyed it. And thank I'm you going to be um, subscribing to your Patreon channel now, Chris and Hunter. I, I love your podcast. I, I think it's Aww. wonderful. Thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. I appreciate I that. I shall be subscribing myself too, guys. Like it's definitely, um, it makes the world go round. It helps share the, sure. uh, the goodness and all that uh, great information. So, Well, we just keep saying we don't want a big audience. We just want the right audience. Yeah, absolutely. It's the I most important and feel, thing. When this comes out, feel free to post it on, on your guys' feed too. So Definitely. Yeah. Of course, thank you so much, guys. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Let's be in touch to to plan the next one. Yes. For sure, right. for sure. Um, uh, if you want, uh, Chris, I'll uh, send you um, both our emails, and yeah. um, we can work out from there. Fantastic. Beautiful. All awesome. right. Awesome, guys. Thank you again. Yes. Many blessings. Yes, likewise. Have a That's good evening. Set the captives free. Yes. Set the captives free. <laughs> exactly. Farewell, guys. Well, very nice to meet those fellows. Wow. Super, super, super intense. Yeah, Joe's story was pretty freaking crazy. I love people who can tell a story that is so visual that I actually feel like I'm there when it's happening. And I felt that in several moments. And I like that it was uh, somewhat confusing where, where I was thinking, okay, has he lost his mind has he found his mind has as he gotten some download that has kind of given him some uh, some altered altered sense of reality like the money thing was so interesting that he took six grand with him uh that he took uh just the whole thing was so I would have mailed my phone back <laughs> when I was going back home. I wouldn't have taken my cell phone. I would be like, let me just FedEx this. Yeah, no shit. Or just cancel my subscription to the crucifixion in the words of James <laughs> Douglas Morrison. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, it's reminded me of a story out of an anthology called Tripping. You always do that yeah. when the Sorry. When I'm sorry. Just just sorry. Accommodate. You can you have a spine. You okay. can there we go. Um out of a book called Tripping, which is an anthology of people's drug experiences. Yeah. And 
we have that book. I know. Yeah. yeah. I tried to get the editor to come on the show, but he saw some of the other people that we had on the show. And, and he was like, no. Don't want to be associated <laughs> with free thinkers. Um, so anyway. Stop talking to your mic. Sorry. Um, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I just kind of lost my thought completely. Um, yes, but some of those stories have the uh, effect of, of a flashback, inducing a flashback. And his had the effect of just the discombobulation that it must have felt like to be in that situation. It felt like he was describing a dream, a very confusing, strange dream. Yeah. So odd that everybody was, so many people were on the edge of being emotional or tearing up and constantly checking in to see how they looked to him. It was so odd. Yeah, I, you know, the one and only time that I ever got put in a a mental health situation with in a mental health facility, you what you note is that it's like stepping into a different reality. It is like the rules are different. Um, how people behave is different. It's so not like what we call everyday life. And so I think there are energies that take advantage of that. And so that those places can be hotbeds of um, demonic energies or, you know, people that have nefarious intentions, you know, they can go there and take advantage of people that are um, maybe uh, not necessarily, uh, in a stable state, I think the fact that he was euphoric through that, the thought that kept entering my mind and as the story progressed was, you know, when two people are accused of a crime, the person that stays up all night and paces and freaks out, that's the innocent one. The person who is guilty as the one who who goes to bed and sleeps because they know that they've committed the crime. It's the person who's innocent that knows that they're in the wrong place and they shouldn't be there. And so I think his reaction was very consistent of someone who hadn't lost their mind or, or wasn't um, mentally um, unstable because he was trying to get out of there. He kept seeing the cues of the things that were going on and catching those cues, like the person that had fallen out of the chair, like the woman banging her head next to him in the, in the other cell, like all of these things were like cues. Like, are you, how are you going to respond or react to this? For sure. Uh, and uh, Stephen brought up in a few of the podcasts that I listened to of his, uh, something about the collective test. And I meant to bring that up, but it, there was just no good point to sort of interrupt Joe's story where I was just uh, kind of hypnotized by it. Um, so that just reminded me of a macro version of what seemed to be this micro version of a test of everything seemed to be a test uh, to see what he, how he would react and how things looked on the outside uh, as opposed to what the people involved in it knew uh, what was actually going on underneath or behind the scenes. 
Like there was an appearance, there was a screen, and then there was something completely different taking place behind that. Yeah. Well, the fact that he, that they asked him for his phone immediately when they got there and he gave them his phone, basically what he was signing off on in that moment was to be tracked, to have um, any of his information that was on there um, stolen. So, you know, maybe the reason, and he said that they were doing something to his phone, so maybe the reason that they needed the phone was to continue the mission, whatever that was. Which was part of it, wiping that one text from his lawyer off about the Masonic, what what was it? The... National treasure. Yeah. 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 It's so weird because we've had weird texty things like that where uh, you've sent me a message or I've sent you a message and the message didn't go through. And I'll say, no, I sent you a message. And you're like, I didn't get that message. And we've looked at each other's phones and you can see it from my end, but not on yours. We should really go back to using wire, I think. Or something that's encrypted like that. That, or when you said that, I thought you meant like a wire, like talking between cans. us. Yeah. I mean, and when I go to work, <laughs> we'd have to have a really long wire. But, you know, you're worth it. I like it. I have a big reel of wire behind my van. Yeah. But we just don't want a bird to sit on it. Because <laughs> that could get heavy. <laughs> But it's not hooked to a. There's a lot, yeah, right? But we're on. We're doing like this, and then there's a bird sitting on it, and that would hurt. Well, you have to have a little. <laughs> you have to have a little stand where the wire could rest on, no matter what is on the. But wire. the wire is how the sound comes through. You think that would muffle it, having a bird sit on it? It would make it would make bird sounds come through. That could make it staticky. This is getting crazy here. <laughs> do, who do I look like to you? Um, <laughs> Joe! <laughs> yeah, that was. I never thought about that level of it, actually. Um, Joe looked a little like an alien. Like, Joe had some alien energy, and I've thought kept, that about you, too. I kept thinking of Neil Peart. I didn't once think of Neil Peart. Well, you're, you don't... I, he's pretty prominent in my mind on any given day, so... <laughs> I, I, I don't think you understand how much I like Rush. I really, really, really love Rush. I, I do. I, on our on our family group thread, you recently asked to watch the Rush movie and the Rush documentary and listen documentaries. Yeah, yeah. and the and the la- and the concert from the, the last concert. tour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I really mean it. That's something, that's a legacy I want to pass on to the kids. I think they would see it in a different light now. I, I got Arvo's interest because I reminded him that Jack Black was in one of them. So Yeah. Anyway. I love Rush. I'm I'm there. I love Rush. Yeah, though. I don't love Rush like you love Rush. I I love the Cocteau Twins like you love Rush. The Ru- Rush <laughs> took, took hold of me at a completely different time before Cocteau Twins. Those are two different chapters. Yeah. Rush, I got too cool for Rush when I was listening to Cocteau Twins. I, I kind of got, oh. there was a period when I was like, ah, that's old dinosaur shit, like, blah, blah. You know, I yeah. tried to act, convince myself that I didn't like them or that I was into other stuff, more sophisticated, yeah. artful stuff. Yeah. But then I, I just it. dropped that pretentious bullshit and yeah. 
fell to my knees, tears streaming out of my eyes. <laughs> anyway. I don't think you're kidding when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I won't. Go ahead. I digress. Stop we digress. We, yeah. we need to talk more about Stephen and Joe. I wanted to, to keep diving on Stephen's experience I know. with Me the too. DMT. That's what I was going to say. I wanted to dig into that experience, but then that's when Joe popped back in, and I didn't realize his story was so extensive. Uh, and I didn't want to interrupt it, one, because I didn't want to be rude, but two, it was very enthralling compelling yeah. story i just had questions i had to interrupt because i had to i had to know specific things and i didn't want to forget them yeah. and i'm so glad he grabbed the book so that i could write what the year was four years six months and four days old is christ consciousness mm -hmm. that was heavy um and just that whole thing like the girl at the at the um waiting room or or before they were he was allowed inside the facility with the tattoo and look like someone he knew and i mm -hmm. mean there was just so many it it's if it, the whole thing felt like a film it felt like inception it felt like waking up in a dream in a dream in a dream like there were so many layers to that mm -hmm. and that's what i liked about steven's story that he uh told us or started to tell us is that that felt like what, and I wanted to say when he said that that reality was uh, eroding, it was peeling away. Like he was starting to see that this reality is not reality. What I was wanting to know is like, okay, well what is real reality? What is the real thing like, are you talking about the earth crumbles away or is it, um, coarse matter? Is it, is it the table? Is it, because I know that everything, every physical thing is in constant motion. So these things are temporary. And so we are just agreeing on this as being a solid object but in reality it's not solid at all it's just an agreement that yeah. says this is solid sure. so when he had that experience did he see energy did he see the constant flow and flux of everything yeah. I, I like that water was involved and he felt that water was dripping on him i wanted to know where his wife was when this was all happening what her experience was because it's interesting to see someone leaving their body or someone having some hallucinatory experience or some transcendental experience from the outside. What was what were her perceptions? And I kept thinking of uh, our Nathaniel Gillis interview and like those are demons, dude. Like, and I I don't I didn't like thinking that like. That's one thing I didn't, one takeaway I didn't like about that conversation with Nathaniel is that, you know, it's all demons. I mean, and I think I said something to that effect afterwards. Like, I don't think anything is all of anything, but that's kind of the impression that I was left with, with that conversation. So unfortunately, that's something that came up when he was talking about meeting those entities, like... They're tricksters. They're just fooling you. Like, even though he seemed to have a very positive experience, I was like, 
they're just trying to lure you in. Like, and then I was like, I don't want to think that. Like, let the experience be what it is. You know, like he got a positive, um, a positive feeling from it. So, I'm I'm just noting that that came up in my mind. When I think he was saying it's that. what you are inhabiting. So it's what your primary energy is. Yeah. So if you are, um, it, you know, everything that we ingest has some degree of energy in it. And so, like, I, I don't think that you and I are, are ingesting dead food. We eat a, a lot of the things we eat are sentient or alive and they have charged energy. So... I think if you are the kind of person who is very clear with your intent when you take DMT or any psychedelic or any plant medicine, I think you what you are going to draw to you is what you can draw from your inner core. So if your inner core has some negativity attached to it, yeah, you can draw some demonic energy if you don't have that as like your primary force i don't think it necessarily always has to be the trickster sure but i think that that naive people and souls can get taken advantage of too um to play out whatever karma they may have accrued uh, in this early in this life or in past lives so i think you can stumble into situations where Certain things usually happen, but something can come in and take advantage of that opportunity to trick people um, yeah. for whatever reason. So I think I do think that that happens sometimes, uh, but I can't, I can't think, I, I I can't think that that happens as much as Nathaniel was giving the impression that it does. But again, as I said too, he's a demonologist, so he's he's not as you know he doesn't seek out angelic experiences, so he. He's talking about what he's heard about, what people bring to him, and what people um, come to him for questions about or situations that maybe he can help with. So, anyway, I don't, I don't want to get yeah. sidetracked with Nate. I mean, maybe, maybe in some in some circumstances, people who who are having transcendent experiences that are not negative, they aren't seeking out any. Um, consensus so they've had this experience and they're not going to anybody to talk to them about it they're just having the experience and that they hold that so someone that's having a negative experience is maybe going to a demon demonologist because they've had a negative experience yeah of course that's what i'm saying me too yeah i'm i'm agreeing with you (laughs) but i just added the positive part i'm saying like there's plenty of people who are having positive experiences who aren't telling anybody. Exactly. For sure. I think that goes in a lot of situations like where people, uh, and that's, I mean, that's where the media can really skew reality in whatever way that it wants to, because, you know, hardly, they may have one human interest story in any newscast, but mostly it's going to be negative shit or things about conflict or, you know, some kind of turmoil that they can, draw people's attention or, or, or lure them in with, uh, and it's not positive at all. So it makes the world seem like a horrible place when in reality, there's probably many, 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 many more positive things going on than negative things, but they're just not getting any airtime. 
Well, and there are people who are, you know, elevated minds, uh, higher consciousness, who don't necessarily need to take any plant medicines, who are having sure. different levels and layers of experiences that uh, aren't making the news, that aren't aren't being publicized because that's not their motivation. That's not, they're not on the radar. So again, it's what you're saying. Like if you're focusing on what the media is saying the world is, then you're getting trapped in that loop. But if you actually go out and have real life experiences, you can have some pretty transcendental life experiences by just being awake and being aware when you go out into the world. Because I think that there's magic um, all around us. It's just being able to tune into that and, and having that frequency on your, on your own personal radar. And cue Bill Hicks get. <laughs> I'm referring to this skit where he is talking about, you never hear yeah. uh, my stories in the news or something like that where I can't, I'm not even, I'm just going to rely on the skit that I'm going to insert in afterwards because I can't uh, yeah. sell it. Basically, he's just saying like, oh, we're all one. There's no fear. Yeah. We never die. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Like blah, 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 blah. He ends it with that. <laughs> yeah, that's the confusing part. <laughs> Okay, well, we're going on 20 minutes. Uh, yes, you're not here for us. You're here for the people that we were talking to. Maybe you're here for us. I don't know. We're here for you. <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Hopefully you found that enlightening or interesting or compelling. Um, I'm here for the spiced meats. <laughs> That's... Uh, that's for the after party. And the, laughter. The caterer should be setting that up upstairs now. <laughs> and the laughter, yes. Um, yes. Anyway, yes, hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Thank you, uh, Patreon members, for subscribing. You help to make all of this work. We're soon going to be on Locals and soon going to be on Subscribestar, so you'll have different ways to support us. Many people don't like Patreon. I'm beginning to understand why. Um, so, yes, thank you all for all that you do to help us uh, feel like we're doing something worthwhile and uh, like we're not so goddamn alone. I love that our wedding photo here behind me it's you're in black and I'm in white and it looks like a yin and yang. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah. There I you should go. have a white dot in my, on my yeah. jacket and you should have a black dot. Wouldn't be well, right. I have flowers that look sure. dark. Flowers. Flowers. All right. Want to get hold of us? The Melt Podcast at ProtonMail.com or? You can always email me at hunter dot protonmail.com go no, to hunter hyphen muse at protonmail.com go to the website melt the melt podcast.net and on the top menu you will be able to find all of the different places that we are in this interspersed in the interwebs that's a fact we love you take care of yourselves and uh yeah fucking great stuff coming guys yeah that's a fact too 
Bye bye. Goodbye. Yeah.